Lutheran. I'm Pastor Brian. And I'm Pastor Perry. And this week we're continuing in Mark's Gospel, starting in chapter 5. They came to the other side of the lake, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when he had stepped out of the boat, immediately a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. He lived among the tombs, and no one could restrain him anymore, even with a chain, for he had often been restrained with shackles and chains. But the chains he wrenched apart, and the shackles he broke into pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and bruising himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you, by God, do not torment me. For he had said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. He begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there were on the hillside a great herd of swine that was feeding, and the unclean spirits begged him, Send us into the swine, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine, and the herd numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and were drowned in the lake. The swineherds ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the demoniac sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had the legion, and they were afraid. Those who had seen what had happened to the demoniac and to the swine reported it. Then they began to beg Jesus to leave their neighborhood. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus refused and said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. And he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. I think that'd make for a fine scene at the movie theater. There's yeah, quite a lot of action going on there. There, there is a lot of action. This uh, guy, this this possessed man that Jesus encounters, it's frightful to think about that on the front end. Jesus gets out of the boat. Um, f- he's first met by this man who later indicates that maybe he was naked because people were surprised later on to find out that he was clothed. He's so powerful that he's breaking chains and can't be restrained in shackles anymore. And he's been uh, bruising himself with rocks up in the mountain. And he comes and uh, bows down before Jesus. Or the, the text there, uh, different translations even say he bowed down as though, uh, like we often think about worship, bowed down before Jesus. And then has this exchange with him asking, kind of bartering with Jesus, don't send us away from the region. Add to that, Jesus is on this boundary piece again here. We talked a couple weeks ago, Jesus uh, eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, and that was scandalous that he was spending time with them. And here he is in this region where it's the Gentiles. He's outside of Jewish territory. He's in the tombs and the catacombs, which it was 
not right. It would be unclean for people to go where the dead are kept or placed. Um, there are swine herders in this area, definitely not something that's part of the Jewish tradition. Uh, so that would have stood out to those who heard about this story as well. So he's with these outsiders again when this all takes place. He's, uh, we've said from the get-go of Mark's gospel that it's often finding Jesus with the outsiders, the sinners, those who everyone else thought we don't spend time or effort or interest with these groups of people. So very powerful scene in which all this is happening, an unexpected place. For me, and I, and I don't know if this is taking taking it down a, a different path, but what surprised me was the demons saying to Jesus, don't torment me, which makes me wonder what what he's afraid of. And, and maybe it is that Jesus casting them out, uh, I don't know what Jesus would do to him. And the whole going into the swine herd seems like a strange place to uh, have them sent. Yeah. It's like, yeah, let's go into the swine. That that seems safe. Yeah, there there are some strange things going on here and culturally speaking, there may be for those who first heard this who would have recognized or said that makes sense. You know, again among the Jewish tradition, they they said that uh swine are an unclean animal. So, for those listening to it, maybe they thought, "Oh, well, of course it makes sense that the demons go along with the unclean with, with food." With the unclean, sure. Uh, uh, of course that's where they they should go. And then from early on in Scripture, uh, and especially in the Old Testament, you see these themes of chaos or the demonic associated with water. You know, we've got these scenes in the Old Testament where anytime you cross water, there's the potential that you're you're going to be lost at sea, or there's these understandings of sea creatures that will shipwreck you. And we, we get a lot of scenes, in fact, right before this in Mark's gospel, we have Jesus crossing the sea and there's a storm and he calms the storm. So water is often understood as the place of or the source of chaos or the uncontrollable. So here we get this legion of demons being sent back via the pigs into the water. So into there's the waters, yeah. some of those for for those who would make those connections where maybe some of that scene makes sense. But whatever you make of it, it you can only just imagine this pile up of 2,000 pigs. You know, imagine a, a farming operation around here and suddenly your pigs, I don't know, find themselves in West Lake or something here. You've drowned, you've lost all your population. You That, that farmer obviously would have been very angry. It's, it says here, the swine herds, that's the the shepherd of the swine, you might say, ran off and told in the city and in the country what had happened. And so people come out a kind of an interesting turn of events here, too. They become so accustomed to this demoniac and his behavior, but it doesn't say that they feared him. What they're afraid of is when they find him sitting clothed and in sound mind, and, and Jesus is there, and they're looking at, I'm guessing, this mountain of pig carcasses and saying, what happened here? Yeah, what, yeah, what went on? Because even today, 2,000 head of swine would be worth a lot of money, or hogs. And to take that back then, I think that would have been a, a huge amount of wealth that just ended up in the, in the sea. And you're right, the, we get so accustomed to what is around us to see that not playing out correctly, to see this man who had been not so to be normal would certainly make you t- take a step back. And I'm thinking back to last week, too. This is 
kind of interesting play on the parable of the sower, and we look at all the the talk of the different kinds of soil, and you imagine as you read this story, okay, who do we imagine would be the good soil? Well, we don't know a whole lot about anybody else there, but certainly this man possessed with a legion of demons, which legion is, uh, there's another kind of, those originally reading this might have caught that legion as a reference to the Roman army that that would have been about 4,000 to 6,000 soldiers. So my name is Legion, for we are many. This man is possessed with four to 6,000 demons. So when you think about those involved in the story, he doesn't seem like he would probably be good soil for the gospel to take root or Christ's word to take root. And, you know, as far as we evaluate things and where we think that, oh, yeah, there's somebody or there's someone who the the word is really going to take root and change their life. As far as we often evaluate things, this demoniac seems like he's the worst case scenario. In fact, he's the one that's uh, surrounded by crows, if you will, to go back to the sermon that's preached last week. And we just think, how can anything possibly good ever happen to this guy. He's possessed by a legion of demons, and yet he's the one, by the end of the story, who has this gospel and is like, I want to follow you, Jesus. Please let me come along with you. And everybody else is saying, get out of here. <laughs> I don't know what you are, but we don't want any. Uh, you know, you're, you're messing things up around here. And so it's this big twist going on here, too, which, again, we've said from the get-go of Mark's gospel, he's great uh, in his storytelling and these these twists or these surprises throughout the story. So this story coming on the heels of last week, having heard about the parable of the sower, just throws a big twist in there into how we think about um, what makes a person or prepares a person to be ready to hear that gospel or what kind of ripens a person to be in the right time and place to suddenly now that gospel takes root. Or what makes a person's heart hard and and unwilling to hear what's happening or what Jesus wants to share. And for this man, he has now an unbelievable story to be able to share about God's grace, about God's power and God's strength uh, to overcome his struggle and his trial. I think the other piece, too, is he really wants to get in and follow Jesus, you know, and uh, there's all this, these praise songs out there about following Jesus and go where he goes. And Jesus says, nope, you stay right where you're at. And there's kind of an interesting twist on the story there too in that he's following Jesus, but not literally. He is not going where Jesus is going, but he is in the sense that Mark's gospel starts off, the kingdom of God has come near that's happened for this guy. And in Jesus' telling him, in your telling of what happened to you, the kingdom is coming near in, in and through you to others that you'll tell about this. He says, go back to your home. Go back to your friends. It's, it's, it's almost as if he's saying, it's clear that this area needs a preacher and they're sending me away. They can't hear me now, but you live here and they know your backstory. You know, if he, he goes somewhere else with Jesus, they're not going to know who he was before. He he grew up with these people, though, and they, to the point they've become accustomed to him and his behavior. They know his background. And now imagine this guy coming back and wandering around the neighborhood and people seeing him and having the same reaction. Like, I is that who I think that is? 
and then to hear his story of how he came to sound mind and what Jesus did for him. So that also puts a twist or a surprise on our understanding of what it is to follow Jesus. Sometimes it's not to go off to some place, or I'll, I'll use the example, you know, we're, we're always wanting and hoping for new pastors, but following Jesus often isn't go off and become a pastor and go somewhere else, but how is the good news and the way it's changed your life, how is God using that to share that story with the people around you who know you very well, who know your history, good, bad, and otherwise, and to share with them what Christ has done for you and and knowing that God is at work through that. That's a, a way of following Jesus. Yeah, I think that's really important for all of us to understand that that the call that we receive is not the same call for everybody else. Everybody has an individual call. Each of us has the gifts, uh, talents, whatever it may be, to make a difference in a certain place, in a certain time. And so I think it is important to understand that Jesus isn't calling necessarily 12 people who are cookie cutters to be disciples. He's calling some for one thing and some for another. To say, you listening to this, I'm, I'm redeeming your particular story. I'm, I, yeah, I really like that, like you said about the cookie cutter piece, that God wants to use your individual story to change the lives of others, to use the story about how he's changing you to change the lives of others, too. Because we often have these aspirations of, I should be like this, or, oh, I look at that person, I really hope I can do something like that someday, to say, no, Christ is using your life, your background, your story, and his story with you to change others around you. So don't aspire to be somebody else, but to trust that God is using your story to make a difference for others. If we play on the parable from last week, God would be using a different sower to sow in a different field. You know, So each of us has that different story, that different background that allows us to be able to sow seeds in different fields per se. Everybody runs with a different crowd or has a different place that they can make that difference. And, and I think this story really plays that out. Yeah, I'll add one more piece to that too of Jesus can't connect with this group, but he knows this guy can because he's got the history. He's been there for a time. And and to think again, too, when we gather for worship here, often we so badly want new ways of how can we get people into this worship place. And the reality is you listening to this know that there are some people in your life who are never going to set foot in this building or in any other church building, no matter how enticing whatever it is that there is. But to think about how is God using you to, through those connections with those people, how is he using you to share that good news with them? Using you to be a preacher for them and somebody who shares this good news with them because they can't imagine setting foot in a place like this and hearing it for themselves. I guess I guess playing off of that would be for a question would be is there a time when you were able to speak to a particular group and because of who you were they were able to hear whereas someone else really giving the same message 
wasn't able to hear because they didn't have that connection. Yeah, like they wouldn't hear it from us as pastors, but they would they would listen to you, even if they didn't necessarily even agree or fully understand or even disagreed, but they would at least hear it from you because of your relationship with them. Have you ever seen someone repent, which really means turn from a situation that they were in that seemed amazing to you? That's kind of like this demoniac who all of a sudden is totally different and how scary and unsettling that transition is for you and your life. Yeah, somebody who, to see that change, you, I think, into the end of the story here, where you simply at first couldn't believe, you know, is this for real? Is this a real change, or is this just a little dip, and any time now we'll be back to right, what we're we'll used to? Yeah, we'll be back to what was normal, and even though we don't really think we like that, we like it because it's comfortable. Are there, so we talk about, confession and forgiveness and in the kind of churchy language it's called called the office of the keys or the forgiveness of sins is what we're talking about an office of the keys in the sense of unlocking or unchaining something so to think of sins and by that i mean things that come between us and our relationship with others things that come between us and our relationship with god are there things that you've seen someone or you yourself have experienced being chained up in or locked up in or so bound to something that you couldn't see the world in any other way and then to experience through forgiveness or through this relationship with Jesus being set free of that and whether you've seen that for yourself or someone else. In in a sense, we... Well, not in a sense, this is really what's happening when we come into worship each week for that confession and forgiveness that is Christ unchaining us again from one thing or another that we've gotten ourselves bound to that's uh, no good for us or no good for those around us. So have you experienced that for yourself or uh, had the joy of sharing that with somebody else? And I think that's kind of the story here. This guy goes out and says, hey, I've been set free of these things and I know somebody who can do that, who can set me free of this thing that I thought I could never be set free of. And he can set you free too. 